So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to for fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we speak about the life of the church and the life of individual Christians, uh, we often use words like uh, progress, uh, moving forwards, the Christian walk or our Christian journey. And there's nothing wrong with this kind of language. We understand what it means. Uh, But it's not the kind of language that Paul used. I guess when we say that a person is moving forward uh, in the Christian walk, it could imply that they're kind of moving on from one thing to the next. And that's actually not the most helpful image of the Christian life, especially as we live in a culture where people do move on from one thing to the next quite rapidly. Uh, A couple of generations ago, it was a norm to uh, get a job in a company, let's say, and then remain with that company for the rest of one's working life. Uh, That is almost unheard of today. In fact, they reckon that the average Australian will work 13 different jobs over the course of his or her life. Now, there's nothing wrong with changing jobs, and uh, there can be great advantages to having a varied career, but certainly it's the case that our sticking power as a culture has diminished. And we see it in other areas of life too. Relationships, the number of time that a person will move house or even move country, um, the products that we buy and how quickly we get bored with them and want an upgrade and so on. There tends to be much more change in our lives as we continually look for the next best thing. And the, the, the problem is this modus operandi can uh, infiltrate the church with disastrous consequences. Uh, And actually, in a way, that is what was happening to the church at Colossae. It seems that there were those in the church who were trying to convince the Colossians that they needed to keep looking for the next best thing. Now, we don't know exactly what that looked like. Paul doesn't spell it out. Uh, But we can make an educated guess. For example, it's likely that there were Jews, Christianized Jews, coming into the church and saying, right, you've given your life to Jesus and that's great, uh, but now you need to be circumcised. 
If you want to be a real Christian, then circumcision is the next thing that you need to do. That's the next part of the progression. Uh, that was almost certainly one of the factors um, because in the first century it was happening in churches all over the ancient world. And Paul specifically mentions circumcision in this passage. And we'll come to that in a moment. But most of the Colossians came from a pagan background. They weren't Jewish. And so uh, it's also likely that there were those in the church who were saying, right, you've given your life to Jesus and that's great, uh, but now you need this special knowledge or you've got to undergo this ritual so that you can have this unique spiritual experience. You see, being a follower of Jesus became about doing the next thing having the next experience, going to the next level as if the Christian life is some kind of production line. But as I said before, Paul doesn't use the language of moving forward. He uses the language of being rooted and built up. Verses 6 to 7, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up. He says, you have received Jesus. You have entered into a relationship with Jesus. He is in you and you are in him. That's where you need to remain. You don't need anything else. Jesus is sufficient. I guess there are three marks of being a Christian. Uh, Christians believe and belief in Jesus includes repentance because we can't turn towards Jesus uh, until we turn away from the bad stuff in our lives. So Christians believe, Christians are baptized, and Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus has God's Spirit within them. And that's where the Colossians were at. They believed, they'd been baptized, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't need anything more. They just needed to continue their lives in Christ. To be rooted is to remain in the same place. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, I looked up and uh, from my office, I can see various uh, trees. And you won't be surprised to learn that they stay in the same place. They don't move. They're always there. Now, if I looked up to see a tree wandering down the road, I would know that there's something very wrong with the tree or something very wrong with me. Of course, trees can be blown over, but the deeper the roots go, the more stable they are. So Paul doesn't use the language of forward progress, but of growth. We grow from the place that we are. We grow from being in Christ. We're not on a journey of discovery, because in Jesus, we have already discovered everything that we could ever need. Our culture is obsessed with forward progress, and it stems, I think, uh, from the Enlightenment period and from our increasing dependence on scientific discovery. So in the uh, late 17th century, uh, scientific knowledge took off on a very sharp trajectory, and it just kept going and going. Generally speaking, science makes forward progress, and that's a good thing. God has given us science. He's given us a world and a universe that is ordered and observable. And certainly in terms of knowledge, the science of today is better than the science of yesterday. But what this does is it creates the illusion that every new thing is better than the thing that has gone before it. And whilst this is generally true of science, it's not true of religion, 
philosophy, morality, or culture. So to summarize what we've said so far, our lives are subject to more change than ever before. We seem to lack the sticking power of previous generations. And we assume that a new thing is better than an old thing. And all of this makes us very susceptible to deceptive philosophies. And that is the very thing that Paul talks about in this letter. And when Paul talks about deceptive philosophies, he's talking about a kind of Jesus plus uh, mentality. Okay, you've got Jesus, but now you need these extra rules or this special knowledge or these spiritual experiences. And he's very explicit. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, if someone offers you a philosophy or ideology that is not firmly rooted in the gospel of Christ, say, no thanks, I've already got everything that I need. There are many hollow and deceptive philosophies in the world today, and I sometimes think that uh, here in the Western world, we are leading the field. The overarching philosophy here in the West is that I am an autonomous individual, and the world ought to revolve around me. God's will, society's norms, and my family's values are irrelevant. I will define my own identity and make my own way in life. I will do what makes me happy. That is the overarching philosophy in the Western world. To some, it might sound very liberating, this idea that we get to do whatever we like. But using Paul's words, this kind of philosophy will take us captive. Putting our trust in Jesus leads to freedom. Putting our trust in anything else leads to captivity. The kind of philosophy that is prevalent in our culture is the exact opposite of the rootedness that Paul describes. There are very uh, very few fixed points of reference Everything is changing all the time, and we can never truly know who we are because we're constantly searching for our identity within instead of our identity being rooted in Christ. Now, when we talk about hollow and deceptive philosophies, we tend to think of these coming from outside of the church. Typically, we might think of uh, aggressive atheists uh, trying to convince us to stop being deluded and to abandon our faith uh, in God. But the truth is, these philosophies often come from within the church itself. That's how it was in Colossae, and it's often how it is in the church today. It's important to realize that not everything that comes with a Christian label is Christian. Not all Christian stuff is good. Not every Christian book presents the truth of the gospel. Not every Christian leader is a genuine follower of Jesus. Not every sermon you find on YouTube is accurate and helpful and theologically sound. Not every theological opinion is correct. Not every worship song glorifies and honors God. We need to be discerning. And the litmus test is this. Here's the all-important question. Is this teaching this book, this, this uh, music, whatever it is, 
Is it firmly rooted in the gospel of Christ? Does it accord with what I read in the Bible and in the New Testament in particular? Another good test is to ask, is this new doctrine, this new philosophy that's being introduced at odds with what the vast majority of Christians have believed at all times and in all places? Because many of the philosophies that are infiltrating the church today go against the grain of what Christians have believed for the last 2,000 years. That is a big red flag. Now, one of the problems with hollow and deceptive philosophies is that they prey on dissatisfaction, a feeling that somehow our faith is deficient, that we've got to add something, change it, or modernize it. Well, the antidote to dissatisfaction is thankfulness. In other words, if we truly appreciate what we have, we will be content with it. Uh, And if we go back to verse 7, we see that Paul talks about the Colossians overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, When I was about 19, I was traveling in Indonesia, and me and uh, Graham, who was um, this uh, Aussie guy that I'm traveling with at the time, uh, we arranged to do uh, a little excursion up uh, Mount Ijen, which is a a volcanic mountain on the island of Java. Uh, Well, this little taxi bus thing arrived at our hostel very early in the morning. There was already a a French couple in in the bus, and uh, they were going to be joining us, or we were going to be joining them. And uh, I'm not sure how the conversation went, but I think they must have asked us how much we'd paid for this excursion, and it turned out that uh, they had paid more. I mean, it it was a pittance at the end of the day, but uh, they were very cross about this, and they complained bitterly the whole way. Anyway, we got there. uh, We climbed the mountain. It took about two and a half hours, and we saw these locals who had the back-breaking task of taking these basketfuls of sulfur up out of the crater and down the mountain. Uh, they'd have a pole on their shoulder, a basket on either end, filled up with sulfur. Uh, the whole thing weighed between 70 and 90 kilos. And they're going up out the crater and down the mountain. They're doing that two, three times a day. Uh, they had to contend with the stench of the sulfur. And I'm pretty sure that sulfur fumes are not particularly good for you. Uh, And it was a very dangerous route they had to walk. In fact, it was so dangerous that while we were there, another woman, a tourist, literally fell off the path right in front of us and died. When we got down from the mountain, they didn't have a taxi bus waiting for us, so we had to sit on top of a large pile of cabbages on the back of a lorry and bounce our way down this very rough track to where we could get this taxi bus thing again. Uh, Why am I telling you this? Well, because myself and Graham were very thankful. We were thankful to be traveling in Indonesia and seeing such unusual things. Uh, We were thankful we didn't have to run up and down a mountain with baskets of sulfur to earn virtually nothing. We were thankful that we hadn't fallen off the mountain and died. Uh, We were thankful for the novelty value of riding on top of a load of cabbages. The couple who shared the experience with us complained the whole way through from beginning to end. They were completely dissatisfied, and presumably they went on to find an experience that was more to their liking. Uh, But the point is, they were dissatisfied because they could find absolutely nothing to be thankful for, even on such a remarkable day. Thankfulness 
is the antidote to dissatisfaction. And this is particularly true when it comes to our faith. Paul exhorts the Colossians to be overflowing with thankfulness, and he gives us every reason to be thankful. So what are the potential areas of dissatisfaction, and how does Paul address them? Well, the first is that we might feel that our spiritual growth is too slow. We may even begin to doubt that God is at work in our lives at all. Now, firstly, Paul talks about circumcision, uh, because as we've seen, there were probably voices in the church saying, you need Jesus plus circumcision, and then you'll be Christians. And Paul says, no. He says, no, you've already been circumcised. And there were probably a few of them thinking, I'm pretty sure I haven't been circumcised. But then he goes on to say uh, that it's not a physical circumcision, but a spiritual one. Not a little bit of flesh, but all of your flesh. And when Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about our sinful human nature. In Christ, that has been destroyed. We are in Christ. That means what happened to Jesus happened to us. Our old sinful nature went down to the grave with Jesus. The person we were when we were in rebellion with, against God, that person died. Our sinful nature, what Paul calls our flesh, died. That's what Paul means uh, when he says that our whole flesh has been circumcised or put off. He's talking about our sinful nature. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we rose with him, not the same, but a new creation with hearts inclined towards God and filled with God's spirit. And you might say, yeah, but I'm still sinful. We'll join the club. We all struggle with sin. And our sin should provoke a godly dissatisfaction because we want to change. We want to be like Jesus. But we need not be satisfied with the way in which God has dealt with our sin, because that is entirely effective. When Jesus returns, the work that he's done in us will be completed. You are a new creation. I'm a new creation. Our sinful nature is dead, and we are on a trajectory that will ultimately lead to perfection, though not this side of the grave. But if that's not something to be thankful for, I don't know what is. When I sin... It's because I fail, not because of some deficiency in what Christ has done for me. A friend of mine once said, if you see any bad in me, that's me. If you see any good in me, that's Christ. Another area of dissatisfaction might be, am I really forgiven? I think probably at some point every Christian has that doubt. Does God really forgive me? That kind of dissatisfaction can lead to a feeling that we've got to do a whole load of good things to cancel out the bad things. Well, Paul says in, in verses 13 and 14, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We can't cancel our sin. We can't cancel our debt. Jesus has already canceled it. Again, that should provoke in us an outpouring of thankfulness, especially when we think what Jesus experienced to do that. And one of the ways that we express our gratitude is, of course, by living the life that Jesus has called us to. And that includes doing good works. 
but as an expression of our thankfulness, not as an attempt to cancel out our debt. Jesus has done that for us. The more we focus on Jesus and what he's done for us, the more thankful we will be and we will see that Jesus is all-sufficient. He's everything that we need. As Christians, we believe, which includes repentance. We're baptized, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to look for anything new or extra or novel. We don't need to incorporate every new philosophy into our faith. As G.K. Chesterton observed, a new philosophy generally means in practice the praise of some old vice. We don't need a lot of uh, lateral movement as we flit around looking for the perfect church. There is no such thing. We're not on a journey that involves unlocking a series of doors, and with each door that's passed, we have greater assurance of our salvation. That's not it at all. Going back to Paul's language of being rooted in Christ and built up, we have found our home. We have found our identity. We have found the fertile soil that is Jesus. That will enable us to grow and become the people that God has created us to be. We must put our roots down deep and remain in Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to put our roots down deep and to grow in Christ. Not to be sidetracked by the latest fad, the latest philosophy, the latest idiosyncrasy of our culture. We pray that we will remain true to your gospel, true to your truth, that we will remain in Christ and put all our hope and our trust in him, not looking for anything more, anything less. We pray, Father, that you will help us to continually grow, to grow to be like Jesus, so that when people meet us, they see something of Jesus in us. And we ask this in his name. Amen.